Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Dave Leff of Leff Construction. Dave was born in London, where he lived until moving to San Francisco at the age of nine. Dave formed Leff Construction in 1978 as a sole proprietor and was joined by his father in 1987 when they incorporated the company. Dave is a certified green builder and over the decades has become an expert in solar and sustainable building, historical renovation, and infill real estate development. He's dedicated to alternative building approaches and his passion for building and remodeling homes that are beautiful and functional, and which integrate sustainable principles with new technologies, has informed his company vision, and the development of his design-build approach to all projects. Dave has been an instructor of the remodeling process to homeowners and contractors and frequently contributes design, build, and construction articles to industry publications. Dave and the Left team hold remodeling workshops for homeowners at the new Left Design Center several times a year. He serves on the board of directors and heads up the Green Building Committee of the North Coast Builders Exchange and participates as a speaker or panelist in conferences and events about sustainable building practices. Now for my conversation with David Leff. Hey, David. Welcome to the show. Hi. Nice to see you. Yeah, likewise. Well, kick us off. Maybe tell us who you are, what the company is, and uh, where are you located? So my name is David Leff. I am the founder of, and up until a year ago, the sole owner of uh, Leff Construction Design Build. We're located in Sebastopol, California, which is up in wine country, about an hour north of San Francisco. We've been in business for, I founded the company in 1978. So this is year number 44. Wow, that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, and it sounds like in transition or something, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. What kinds of projects are you guys focused on right now? We are strictly a design build company, all residential work, and it's uh, custom homes that we build or mostly higher end, larger remodeling projects whole home remodels, multi-room remodels, remodel with an addition, that sort of thing. Good deal. Good deal. All right. Well, we're going to rewind the clock before we talk too much about what's going on today. 44 years, that's a huge accomplishment. Hopefully you feel proud, pretty proud of that. What caused you to get into the business or start the business? You know, you said 78, is that right? That's right. So the story is that I was in college I was uh, in, in the psychology English department at my university. I was uh, on track to go to law school after I graduated. Okay. While I was in school during the summers, I had been working for a local construction company. And then uh, after I graduated, 
I, I actually was accepted to go to law school, but I put off the, um, the trip back to Boston because I was enjoying building so much. And I, so I, was, I worked full time for uh, the same contractor. And then I met the woman who became my wife and I got further distracted and decided to put off uh, the, the trip to law school <laughs> further and just decided, you know, she and I decided we were going to get married. And so I decided I was going to just completely switch gears and become a contractor instead of a lawyer. <laughs> That's a, a pretty big pivot. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, a bit, there's more to that that I can talk about later, but my dad was a lawyer. And he had, he had this fantasy of, of us becoming law partners. So many years later, he retired and, and came to work for me. Oh, interesting. <laughs> we were partners, but in a different field. Yeah, that's cool. Well, tell, tell me about those first couple of years. What were they like? I was, I was a sole proprietor, just working by myself for a short period of time, just doing small projects. Uh, decks and you know little minor interior remodels i hired a couple of guys and we started doing bigger projects gradually uh the size of the project increased the number of employees i had you know we came maybe we had four or five uh, employees and then it was fairly soon after i started maybe four or five years that my dad uh, retired and he um, decided he wanted to partner up with me and, and do some, some uh, real estate, some land development and spec building. And so we, for about 10 years, worked together doing small infill subdivisions, anywhere from three or four unit single family subdivisions. And the largest one that we did was a 44 unit townhome project. So that was real production building. We got, unfortunately, got caught in one of the major downturns. Interest rates were skyrocketing. I think we were, it was a time when interest rates were 17, 18%, and we were stuck with a, with a whole bunch of units that we couldn't sell. So I realized then that, that I just did not have deep enough pockets to, to withstand the, the process of, of developing and, and the long-term entitlement periods and so on. So I started to focus on contract work at that point. Mm. That was in maybe in the, the late 80s, early 90s. We stopped doing spec building. My dad retired and I then started focusing. So we were mainly doing remodeling projects uh, at that time. We, even though I had a lot of experience building new homes, we weren't building custom homes. Big turning point for me was I got a call from a fellow who uh, I hadn't heard of before. His name is Michael Gerber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, he lives in our in our county, and he was looking for someone to remodel his house. I worked with him for a while. We put together a proposal to to remodel his house, and he spent a lot of time asking me not about the construction, but about my company. You know, what, how did I approach my work? How you know what were my processes and all this stuff? I didn't know where he was getting. And then he introduced me to his book. He had just written the the e the ebook, <laughs> the e uh, e myth, and that co- just that completely changed my approach to the way that I ran my business. And for the first time, when people asked me what I did for a living, rather than saying I was a contractor, 
But rather than saying I, I was a builder, I said I owned a construction company. Nice. I because like it. my focus then is just as much as it was on the quality of my building. It was on building a business that, that ultimately I could uh, I could leave and have the business continue without me. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, yeah. That's crazy that uh, that you bumped into him shortly after he lost that because we all know what that book has turned into and yeah. everything. So. Well, that's cool. So that that kind of you said was a big pivot point. What kind of happened over the next few years as you kind of started to embrace more of that reframe of I own a construction company? So it was really all about developing systems and procedures for everything that we did and and documenting them. And so it took a couple of years, but we we essentially had a had a, a manual for how we do everything that we do. And so as we were able to, we, we, as we were growing and hiring more people, we could, you know, we had a document that they could look at and they could understand and follow the processes. And it just made the onboarding of new employees easier and more efficient. The second thing, the second major change in, in the way that I ran my company was that I, I realized that all of our work was coming from architects. And I realized that architects didn't really know what things cost. <laughs> yeah, and they're great so, at designing a lot of cool things. <laughs> yeah, they were yeah. really good designers. But um, and and so more than half the time, we would bid a project with some other contractors, and the prices would come in so far over the budget that, in in most cases, the the architect knew about, but just wasn't able to to match his design to the budget. That the projects ended up either getting redesigned at considerable expense for the client or abandoned. And I realized that, that it really made sense to have the, the consideration of the budget happen much earlier in the process. And so that's when we really started to look into the idea of design build and that approach to building and designing. Hired my first designer. And actually, I didn't hire them. I, I associated with, with a, a designer and then a second one. And they worked for us as employees for when they were doing our work, but they also had their own uh, own independent design companies. What year was that? That was uh, probably mid to late 90s. Okay, yeah. So still, that feels like that's on the earlier side of design build being like a, a term that was really being used. And Yeah, it, it was. I mean, design build was, was being used in, in commercial work somewhat then, but nobody knew about it in residential work. And so most of our, or a lot of our sales process was educating potential clients about the, the benefits and the value of design build. It's only recently now that people are actually looking for design build companies. Yeah. But yeah. For years, for years, we had to you know, really explain why it made sense uh, and what was the, the value of of having the builder and the designer be so connected from the very beginning that there was no finger pointing. They had to, they couldn't, we couldn't point our fingers at ourselves. Yeah. Do you feel like, like when you first started adopting that, did that seem to really resonate with people or they're like, eh, this feels too different. You know, uh, I don't know what you're talking about over here. It resonated with, with some people, some people thought, you know, the most common objection was, well, how do I know I'm getting the best price? Yeah. <laughs> and so 
you know, then our response would be, well, what does it mean? What's the best price mean? Is that the cheapest price? Or is that where you get the most value for your money? And, you know, we said, you know, we're not going to be the cheapest around, but we, you, you will get the best value. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. Let's go back a little bit, I guess, just in thinking about maybe that that pivot to design build, what do you think were some of your bigger challenges or one big challenge that you guys really faced when kind of adopting that mindset and that philosophy? I mean, I think most of us can agree that's a better way to do it, but there's still always challenges like changing your whole process, whether it's the sales process and then the way you deliver. Do you remember any sticking points that you kind of had to overcome? Well, the biggest one was the head trash, the mindset that that tells you that you can't charge for estimating mm. and you can't, you know, that the design, if you're going to design that the, the value of the design is not significant, that uh, if you're going to design, you might as well just throw it in or, or just charge a nominal fee for it. When we realized that it is, the design is, is critical. And that, that, Basic, really, that first conceptual design that we produce is probably more valuable than anything else we're going to do in the process. Yep. And it's it doesn't make any sense to give it away. And the same thing with estimating. You know, you get you get what you pay for, and so a free estimate is is likely to not be worth much. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. The uh, that makes a lot of sense. The head trash around that. I mean. Every industry, I feel like, has those things where it's like, we've always done it this way. And it just becomes so ingrained that when you do something different, the biggest hurdle is just convincing yourself that actually this is better and we should do it this way. Um, and then just being firm and communicating the value and, and standing behind it. Right. And then the other part, the other the, the difficult change was in, during in the sales process that getting the client's feeling comfortable to, to ask clients to sign an agreement that they're going to pay us. They don't know us. And all they know is, in those days, we didn't even have websites. So all they know is about us is what we're telling them or, or what little information they get from, from references. And But we're, we're asking them to sign an agreement that says we're going to do this, this pre-construction work and you're going to pay us for it. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious too, just thinking about your your journey. 44 years, you've gone through probably a number of pivots. You've already talked through a couple big ones. I find that like, I don't know, when you get into the journey, you almost don't know what you're getting into, right? When you first get started. What do you think are like one or two things that were just those like light bulb moments where you wish you would have known those five or 10 years prior? And then uh, also on the flip side, were there just a couple of, I guess I'll start there and then, and then I'll, I'll flip. But yeah, a couple of those like big light bulb moments. Well, you know, the what, one thing was what I, you know, the stuff that I got from, from Michael Gerber, you know, just, mm-hmm. just systematizing uh, the company was just critical. Really what we're selling now is our process and just developing the process, a process and identifying those projects that make good business sense to be involved in and not taking everything that, that is, is offered and learning how to, to say no to projects. When you, especially when you're starting out, you just, you're not selective. You're taking anything you can. You figure out you're going you're gonna to figure it out as you go along. But it, it, it's just so, it just makes life so much easier if you can identify those things that you're best at, where you can provide the greatest value to the clients and where there's the, you know, where there's a potential for it to be profitable, but also a win-win, you know, so it's, it's a good, it's a perfect fit with, with, the, with the clients that you end up with. We teach our salespeople now, our designers are the ones who sell. And we teach them to go out with a focus on getting a no. We don't want the job unless the client convinces us that it's a good fit. Mm-hmm. We don't want to convince the client that we're the best option for them. We want them to convince us that, yeah, we want to work with you and we think you're the best fit. Otherwise, yeah. we don't want the job. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it is sort of that evolution. You know, at the beginning, you'll take whatever and then you kind of you kind of build on that. The faster you can get there, the better. <laughs> well, I'm curious, you kind of hinted at at the beginning of our conversation that you're now part owner or like, what's the current state? What's the transition look like? It sounds like uh, you're maybe on your way to achieving what you wanted. It's just systematizing everything and um, and not working in it all the time. <laughs> so the end of 2020, I sold my company to my employees. So we are 100% employee-owned ESOP now. Cool. And part of the deal was that I stay on for two years, which will be up at the end of this year, and then I'm retired. Right on. <laughs> and and that you know there was a, a long that was something that that took a while to develop. It was a long process of getting to the point where where I had a company that I could that would continue without me, and that there was enough value that I could sell it. So it, it provided it provided an income for me and uh, an exit strategy that allowed the company to continue without me. Yeah. Well, congrats. That's awesome. That's uh. It's tough to pull off because you have to have a lot of <laughs> a lot of things working. We could probably spend a whole hour talking about that, but maybe just for people listening that maybe that's on the horizon, you know, years down the road, but they think it's an interesting option. Are there a couple of things that you would point to to say like you gotta start working on X, Y, and Z right now if you want to pull that off? Yeah, and this would apply to to lot any 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 time you exit a company. 
I think this applies. It's not only for an ESOP. It would apply if you're selling or if or you have a second generation taken of whatever it is. It's really all about building a, a, a level of middle management. And I started this about, about seven or eight years ago, was developing departments with each department having a manager. So I had, a, mm-hmm. I had and have a design department manager and a production manager and an admin and accounting manager and a sales and marketing manager. And those, those people together with me formed a leadership team. And so we started then to, to, to lead and manage the company as a team rather than as a sole proprietor. And so over the years, I gradually was able to hand off and delegate all those things that I was doing to the appropriate manager. And I just, I just think that that's the only way that you can ever leave a company and have it continue. Yeah, you know, unless you just happen to have a son or a daughter or son or daughter-in-law that is the right fit, and those often don't work out anyway, but uh, it's it's really difficult for a company to continue without having this middle management level. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Do you think there's a minimum like size of company <laughs> that you kind of need to get to to be able to put those people in place, or is that irrelevant? Probably. I mean, when we started out, we weren't large. You know, we were we were in the three to four million dollar a year range. It's really a matter of finding ways that you can have managers who are not full time overhead expenses. Yeah, so they're 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 fulfilling a role that has has a billable component to it. As the company grows, you know, we're now we have now thirty five employees, so the managers are probably half time managing and half time producing or designing or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You just start start where you are, add the level of responsibility, even if it's a, hey, we're meeting once a month and I need you to spend four hours on this a month, you know, kind of thinking. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I like it. All right. So there's always in this line of business, a, a wacky client story or a weird project that you encountered. Anything coming to mind that you can share with us? I don't have a wacky client story, but the the strangest things that we run into in our in our area. There's a, you know, this is a pretty upscale neighborhood that or county that we work in, and there are people now. A large percentage of our clients are people that are coming in. They've sold a house in San Francisco or Silicon Valley or Southern California or back east, and they come in and they buy a house that. Is may have been remodeled within the past couple of years, but are willing to spend a lot of money taking everything out and completely remodeling it. And it just, it just, you know, it really blows my mind as to how much money there is that people are willing to to spend on things that, you know, some people might consider quite wasteful. Yeah, though it shows you how emotional it is too, right? It's just. It's just what they want. It's, That's right. It's not there. It's beyond practicality. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's wild. And I'm sure in your area, you see that more often than other areas, just being so close to all the big, big money tech and everything. And right. what, yeah. 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 Interesting. Well, I guess, you know, you're, you're coming up on retirement at the end of the year and that sort of thing. Do you see yourself being 
involved or on a board or are you just like i'm out you know like uh, <laughs> i'm done <laughs> i'll be out completely out of operations i will i'm going to continue as chairman of the board we have we do have a an active board now that was part of the the esop development process was br bringing in some external board members in addition to a couple of us and i'll i will continue as chairman of that board for at least a couple of years Cool. Yeah, that's and awesome. I'm sure that there'll be a few phone calls here and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'll 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 fade out over time, and uh, I'm sure you've you've got a great team in place. Well, I'm curious. I got a couple more questions to to wrap us up. One is just industry's been a little bit wild the last couple of years. What do you see as maybe the one or two biggest challenges that we should all be thinking about over the next twelve to twenty four months in terms of you know the remodeling industry and construction in general? I think we're. I do think we're going to see a bit of a recession, and I think that we've had some really good times for a few years, and especially for those newer contractors that haven't known a real downturn. Just be prepared. You know, you need to keep some cash. Don't spend everything that you make if you can. Keep some cash, and and figure out ways to to diversify. The, the work that you do. I mean, one way that, that that can be achieved is by putting together a a small job division. There's then there's a number of ways you can do that. But some, you know, when when things slow down, those are the those are the kind of projects that continue when the larger remodeling projects disappear. I mean, I remember in in, in uh, 2008 in that recession, there was the, the the much smaller jobs that really kept us alive. This supply chain issue now, where we're seeing a six-month delay on windows and a lead time, you know, of, of close to that for cabinets, just staying ahead, far enough ahead of of your project, so that you can get, so that you, you're not waiting until a project starts before you, you know, a three-month project before you order your windows that are six months out. It just really doesn't work. You know, just so paying attention to scheduling and managing your client expectations, I think, is really going to be critical until, if and until this supply chain problem uh, resolves itself. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's been challenging to say the least, for sure. <laughs> well, Dave, I guess any final words of wisdom or piece of advice for other remodeling companies listening? Not really anything more than I see. I mean, I just think it's. I think reading business books is something that is really important for younger contractors to do. Getting to understanding that you are running a business. You know, you're not a carpenter and you are running a business and, and you deserve to be paid for your time, for everything that you do. Everything that you do adds value to, to what your clients are paying you for, you for and you're worth it. And, and you deserve to be paid and avoid competitive bidding whenever you can. <laughs> and that's the other advantage of design build is, is you're not, there's no competitive bidding. I mean, we, our clients get the benefit of competitive bidding because our subcontractors are being bid competitively, but we're the only general contractor on the job. Because when you get a job and it's competitively bid and you're the low bidder, 
Yeah, it's not, it's not a good feeling. <laughs> you got the job, but you go, oh my God, what did I do? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great advice. And um, yeah, I couldn't agree more with the uh, the re- reading and learning, you know, that just accelerates the the learning curve. And I feel like it minimizes mistakes, which can oftentimes be one of the bigger wins is just avoiding the the potholes. <laughs> so, well, cool. Well, David, thanks so much for spending the time and uh, sharing your story with me today. Well, thank you. It was good talking to you. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.